linchpin, I think, for the whole thing becoming this sort of like episodic web series was the desire to lift up the industry and make each restaurant feel like this is our thing. We're not being held up against any other restaurants and their ideals. This is just our thing. Welcome to the Lone Star Play Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Join me and a famous guest. We discuss their career, life, food, Texas, and everything in between. Let's get started. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Lone Star Play Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Okay, wow. You know, after our last couple episodes that were just amazing, right, with the documentaries, we continue. This is another, this is more local. This is uh, very close to my heart, to be honest with you. Um, this is, uh, there's a series called Reopen, okay? You can go to reopendoc.com, so R-E-O-P-N-D-O-C.com. You'll find this phenomenal documentary series, okay, um, about you know, places in America, but most of them are in Texas and specifically Austin um, that are, you know, struggling uh, during the COVID. Uh, And some of these were filmed quite a while ago, the beginning of COVID, you know, just different time periods. That's what's great about it. So um, just a phenomenal glimpse into what a lot of these places were going through, but just so well made and just long enough to, you know, digest right these are not long form so i'm going to read you a little something from the website so you have uh, a little bit of an idea uh what this is so reopen is a short form short format documentary series that gives viewers a window into the difficult decisions that restaurant chefs and owners are making every day to try to uh, provide hospitality keep diners safe and save their businesses during a global pandemic Each episode focuses on a different restaurant, how they've survived during the shutdown, their thoughts on the government's response to the pandemic, and where they go from here. Boom. I guess I should have started with that. So what I'm going to do is uh, play a little clip trailer from the uh, documentary here, and then uh, we'll have a word from our sponsor, as always, Texas Real Food, and then we'll jump into the uh, interview uh, with um, the director who I had on. so his name is Christian Remdy. Hope I'm saying that right. I'm pretty sure I am. Uh, great guy. Great history. So we talk, you know, what, what this guy has done, you know, before all this. Uh, he's got a great history in the industry and just a phenomenal director uh, and just, you know, he's done a lot and really just happy that he gave a voice, you know, to, to what I would call the voiceless in a lot of ways. Um, so, again, great interview. Really enjoyed it. Great documentary series. Check it out. But uh, here's a uh, here's a little bit of something from uh, the series. I feel like this whole thing is just kind of weighing on me all the time, you know? The first industry to be singled out of all industries was the restaurant industry. The mixed messaging at the state level has been the most problematic. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. We realized that we were not being safe enough. The idea of safety in that moment is a total joke. 
anybody running a restaurant or a bar or a club or whatever, you don't really sign up for this kind of thing. Restaurant industry workers were a level of first responders because when things were fully closed down, restaurants still had to stay open in order to feed the community. The numbers, the way the Texas is going at the moment, is pretty clear cut that we haven't done it right. And I can't help but feel like we miss the opportunity as a country. Is a restaurant's function in society the same? We need connection more than ever. We have the opportunity to just start from scratch. When the first tickets started coming in, it's been months since I've heard the printer go off and tell me, hey, cook this food. Someone's gonna eat it, someone's gonna pay for it. The world is different. For how long, I don't know, but it is. I wanna save my business. I don't wanna be defeated by a pandemic. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that. That was great, right? So we'll get to the interview here real shortly with Christian. Uh, before we do that, let's go to TexasRealFood.com, who is our sponsor. Uh, that's a great, look, website directory. And what we're going to do is just, boom, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to put in um, my zip code, and we're gonna just going to pull up the places around and just see. We're live, live doing this, okay? Uh, and you can also just be, select a city if you live in a major city. So Austin, Dallas, El Paso, Fort Worth, Houston, San Antonio. Uh, you know, you, you can uh, do it that way. So, all right, here we go. Let's see here. Boom, put in my zip code. I'm not going to tell you my zip code. But I'm in Austin. All right, boom. Brings up some different categories. Farms and ranches bakeries butchers uh cideries does that right craft breweries distilleries artisan food producers look there's so much farmers markets okay farm stays fish and seafood food trucks restaurants look at all these categories stores wineries oh all kinds of stuff guys man this is cool look at this farms and ranch boggy creek farm eden east this is cool, man. See, and look, you can sign up, create a little membership, um, you know, save some stuff, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, again, there's a lot of other resources, recipes. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's just a great site to be a part of. To be honest with you, regardless that they sponsor this podcast and produce it, you know, it's a great site. It really is. Um, so, just some great listings here, guys. Oh man, look at this. Lost Pines Yomp and Tea. Ooh. Yeah, that looks got here. Yeah, again, just some great stuff. You just pick, you know, what's what you want and uh brings it up. Like I click like I'm gonna click on the food trucks. Right? Yeah, that's cool. So, all right, guys. Um let's get to the episode. What do you think? Sounds good, right? All right, let's do it. So again. Uh, Christian Remdy with uh, Reopen Documentary. Phenomenal interview. Here we go. Enjoy. So, yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about how you got into sort of video production. I don't know. What, what's the word? What's the word I would use? Is that the right word? Video production? Or? Yeah. I, you know, um, well, I think I started out like a lot of people who are in this industry who are 
around my age, uh, I saw Star Wars. That's honestly like, that's what got me into it. Like I just, you know, I was, you know, I was six years old sitting in a theater and I thought, oh my God, I want to go out into space and make movies. That sounds like the coolest thing ever. And then I, you know, of course, you know, you realize, oh, there's sound stages and there's, you know, special effects. And stuff like Is this that. how they did the moon landing? Right. You're thinking, yeah. right. right. <laughs> right. Uh, but I mean, but that's, and, and, but that's really how it, it all started with Star Wars. I'm, that's I'm awesome. Huge, how, uh, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 41. Uh, no, I just turned 48. 48. Okay. Boom. My brother's age. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, and as I grew up and, and I started getting into film and movies and for a while, I really wanted to go into special effects. And then I started learning about more about directing and, and writing and, and that kind of became more my focus. And um, I, one of my favorite movies is Lawrence of Arabia and oh wow yeah David David Lean uh, who directed Lawrence of Arabia uh, started out as an editor and he always talked about how being an editor first makes you a much better director because you go into it with you know thinking like here's what I need here's what I know I'm going to need in the edit room in order to make this scene work yeah um, in order to tell the story I'm sort of reverse engineering yeah. as you will. Exactly. Yeah. And for, for the way my brain works, that, that kind of like worked really well for me. And so I decided to go into editing as a way to make myself a better director. And so I spent a lot of time um, edit, just learning editing techniques and, and learning how to edit digitally. When I first started doing that, digital editing was sort of in its very infancy, like <laughs> the Avid, the Media 100, things like yeah. that, just before, before Final Cut Pro, before any of that. Um, and so I got into doing that. I found a, a production company who was wanting to buy a digital editing system and I convinced them to buy it and let me run it. And so I learned how to use it and started editing commercials and music videos and just oh, wow. everything, you know, all this kind of stuff and slowly kind of worked my way up and, and, and edited, uh, started editing short films and feature films and documentaries and all this stuff. And, uh, and then kind of decided, I got to a point where I felt comfortable enough where I said, I'm going to make the jump and become a director. And so I made my first short film. I was living in New York city at the time and, um, and it, it did well. It, it is that the wine bar or we are, or is, yeah, that, is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, it got into a bunch of film festivals and it won a bunch of awards and it really kind of, uh, it made me feel like, did that feel you know, good? Like your first did, one, right? You're like, but it really like, uh, it, awesome. it made me feel good about, uh, uh, kind of just, you know, the path that I had taken had, had paid it off. It made like sense, it, right? Like this yeah, is what I was meant to do. Work. Yeah, I get it. Um, and so, and so, yeah. And, and I kind of, decided I'm going to become a director and I started directing short films and, and, uh, and this was right around the time that DSLRs started shooting video and you could use high quality lenses in order and, you know, in a small kind of package and it was affordable. And so I bought my first camera and decided I was going to learn how to shoot. And, um, and I just kind of like, it, it just sort of like kind of kept evolving little by little. It kind of became, you know, this thing where I would just sort of like take the next step and that would work out and I would take the next step and that would work out. That's awesome. Um, and 
my, I, I met my wife in New York. We got married there and uh, we realized we wanted to buy a house and have a kid and kind of do all that stuff. And doing that in New York city is just, you know, it's <laughs> a real hassle unless you want to move to New Jersey, which. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we, um, my wife graduated from law school at UT. So she had lived here for a few years and I've been to Austin a few times for South by and the Austin film festival and stuff like that. And so we kind of looked around at a bunch of different places, but Austin really kind of felt like the best place for us to land. So we packed up, we moved down here and at right when we got here was when the, the culinary scene in Austin was really sort of beginning to take off. It was when Bryce Gilmore was doing amazing stuff. It was when Paul Key was doing amazing stuff. Like it was really kind of at that sort of like really just what year, what year would you say? That was 2010. 2010. Um, Yeah. And so that was really kind of, you know, I mean, there were, there were, there were already places here that were doing innovative things, but I feel like it was that it was Austin kind of taking that next step. Um, and really kind of raising the flag and saying like, Hey, we're, this is, we're, this we're is, here too. Right. Yeah. yeah this is an important <laughs> culinary scene. Everyone needs to come check this out. Um, and it just kind of so happened that I really, I've, I've always been a foodie person. Like I love restaurants. Well, shit, you lived in New York city, yeah. right? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. My wife and I, we would go out all the time. Yeah. In New York City, you don't really cook at home very much because you don't really have a kitchen. You have like <laughs> barely a kitchen. Yeah. You don't have a dining room. So uh, you, you eat out a lot. And so um, when we moved to Austin, we really took advantage of the incredible culinary scene here and really just kind of went out and ate the city. Like we really just kind of went nuts. Um, and I really was kind of I had always said like if I didn't go if I didn't become a filmmaker I would go would have gone to culinary school like that would have been my uh, that would have been the, the fallback for me got it um if, if film hadn't worked out if I was a terrible filmmaker then at least you know I know how to I know how I feel like I'd be good at, at that and so um when I bought my first camera and when I did all of that I thought you know I really should go out and shoot stuff I really should want to do stuff and so I thought well I should, I should make a documentary about chefs that would be interesting because it would interest me sure um and so i hooked up with bryce gilmore uh who still had the odd the odd duck trailer was still going and and i i really thought it was fascinating to me because he um you know food trucks were really big in austin at the time um but food trucks are tough like food trucks it's it's a tough place to be because you don't have in a restaurant you've got to walk in you've got more storage you've got more room to cook you've got all this stuff and all of that is shrunk down into this you know water your connected water yeah exactly and so um it's it's a it's a tough sell and then i thought what was even more amazing was that bryce was making it even harder on himself because with the on duck food trailer he would only cook local um so all of the product that he cooked uh, had to be local. So, you know, when you're, when you've got a food truck, you tend to make a menu that you know is going to be easy to cook based off of ingredients that you know, you're going to be able to get. Um, and it makes it a lot easier, but what Bryce was doing was saying like every week, I'm going to go to the farmer's market and whatever they've got, that's what I'm going to make a menu out of. And so it just was like that extra level of difficulty that I totally admired. I was like, wow, that's really like, it's totally ballsy to do that. And so I was like, I really want to make something about him. And so 
I shot with him in that, you know, and he had, and it was a live fire grill and it was just like, you know, so hot, so smoky. My eyes were just like dead every day after being in there. Um, yeah. my camp, like my clothes, just everything reeked of smoke, but the documentary was awesome. Like I really love that doc. It was like the first one I ever did and I still love it. That's awesome. It's, it's really great. Um, it was just really like, it was a great moment in how long did it take you to shoot that more or less i think it took about four or five days of shooting and i shot with bryce and then i also interviewed one of the farmers that he works with and i interviewed uh someone else here in town who's part of the local food scene um and so yeah i really kind of made this little documentary and i had never made one before and so i was just sort of like figuring it out as i went sure uh, but it was just really great and i think it really captures this moment of like a little bit of innocence in ta- in Austin in the food scene, like kind of before everyone descended on the city and, you know, outside chefs started opening up restaurants here and it sort of blew up. Uh, yeah. You know, that was probably two or three years later, but at that moment it was still sort of very innocent and very kind of calm and nice. And yeah. Um, yeah. That's and, true. Yeah. And so that, and and that's kind of how it got started. And, and, and honestly, like the, I really lucked out because as I was making that documentary, Bryce was named one of Food and Wine's best new chefs. And so, right as the yeah. documentary was being finished, people were super interested in it. All of a sudden, people it's were relevant. Like, oh. All of a sudden, it's it's trending right. and relevant. Yeah. And so, Food and Wine picked it up. They they put it on their website and Huffington Post. Wow. And, you know, and oh so, my yeah, god! And it was yeah, like, awesome. And so for me, I was really like, oh my god, this is amazing. And so I was like, I want to make another one. So I hooked up with a. There was a, a, a husband and wife team, the Kasuriks here in town, who had a charcuterie business. And I love charcuterie. I love anything cured meats and <laughs> yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah me too. Absolutely. So I was like, oh, I want to make a documentary about charcuterie and, and I want to use them as the voice of the documentary talking about the history and how it's made and why things are done and, and all of that. Um, and I kind of lucked out there, too, because right at, the, at that moment, charcuterie was a bit was becoming a big deal nationwide. And so I think off of the success of the first documentary, plus interest in in charcuterie, like, you know, that like New York times picked it up, like a bunch of places picked it up and started showing it. And then I kind of became just the food, like the food guy, you know, people started getting in touch with me being like, Hey, can you come make a documentary about us and we'll pay you to shoot this and we'll pay you to do that. And it just sort of like became this thing where it was, I only started doing it because I love food and it interests me. And you, you know, there's nothing better than making a documentary about something that you have a real interest in because you're learning about it you know, along with the audience. And so, um, but, you know, getting to do that was, was remarkable. And, and that really opened up so many doors for me to be able to start working with food brands with, you know, and then because culinary tourism became a big thing, I started working with a lot of tourism boards. Oh, wow. Uh, and, you know, people would, I, I got to work with the Hong Kong tourism board. Uh, we Damn, along. that's awesome. We had a, we've had a long relationship with them uh, and they'll dub that they bring us out to Hong Kong with a bunch of chefs and we shoot, you know, just a ton of pieces and they'd all go all over the place. And anything just, like you know, uh, Spain or Mexico? No, I haven't done. I really wanted to do Spain. We reached out to the um, to their tourism board, uh, but we never had any luck. Uh, I think we 
we may have talked to them. It's it's them probably time. sitting still in their inbox. Uh, the Spanish. They're just uh, my wife's from Spain. I lived there for a few sure. years. I but they're, just, <laughs> they're just uh, you know, they're 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 slow to get to things sometimes. Tranquilo. That's what they I, tell you. Tranquilo. I, I, yeah, I get it. Like I, oh, yeah, I loved it. I loved it too. Absolutely. In fact, yeah. we brought the lifestyle here. Like you know, I live that same lifestyle that I learned over there here. I still live That's it. I still eat dinner at the same late time. I still take that yeah. nap at midday. My lunch is yeah. late. Like compared to here, right? Three p.m. Sure, lunch, right. and yeah. uh, we're talking a ten p.m. dinner, eleven p.m. Normal, and right? Gotta have the sangria. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I had a food truck here in in Austin, man. Actually, that did Spanish food. That's why I moved here. Oh, you did it. It was called Boca. You might have heard of it. I was on Randy Street for a while. Uh, it was t- 2014 to 2019, so yeah. just last year. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I I can relate to all the food truck stuff and all that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. man. It's a fucking yeah. nightmare uh, of a uh, you know. Spanish food is like one of my favorites. It's I've, the best. Where did yeah, you live? Lived, yeah, where'd you live? I, I lived on the coast of El Sol um, in Tor, uh, Tormelinos, which is like right near like Malaga. Marbella, yeah, like- I, I lived in uh, Granada. I lived in Andalusia oh, too. Gosh, yeah. yeah, I've been to Granada. It's beautiful. I, yeah. love, I love all of Spain. Oh. I, I was so lucky. I lived there for about a year and a half and traveled all around and it was just remarkable. The food and, and the culture and just the history of it. It's, did uh, you ever think about doing the Camino? No, I, had, I didn't. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, That's why I went there to originally, I, I went there, I did the Camino. And once I was done with the Camino, I, I couldn't leave. I was like, yeah. I love this country so much. I mean, yeah, it was, it was awesome. I just, you know, I had a motorcycle and, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. You know, it, it was, it was just the best ever. Oh like, man. Really, like, yeah. Just, you know, you, you wake up at, you know, 11 o'clock and you go to the beach and, you hang out at the beach. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous lifestyle. It really is ridiculous, right? Yeah. Even when I worked, like I would tell you know people, I would be working there in Spain, and I'd be working there. Patrick, why are you so? Why you got a smile on your? They would always be mad at me that has smile on my face sometimes because they don't right. smile all the time for no reason, right? You got to have a reason to smile in Spain. But I'll just be smiling yeah. all the time. They're like, Patrick, what is dude, this is this ain't even work to me. We're on the beach. Uh, I mean, this is like the yeah. best right it was like uh yeah that's awesome man that's awesome well i hope that happens uh one day it sounds like you definitely have a lot of experience there um if you were to go shoot and do something it would be no problem for you yeah no uh, absolutely i would love i would love to go to go shoot in spain um yeah no that's absolutely. awesome man I, I, what an incredible journey you've had you know i'm so i'm so happy for you that you know that that success and turning an eye on an industry that's dear to my heart man and and showcasing that in a and taking it seriously and, and showcasing it in a positive way um is important because food gets you know food gets shown in so many different ways right food gets just plastered all over tv and shows and you've got chopped to top chef to this to yeah. anthony bourdain right and and the bait great bait uh, what is it? The the great British baking show and shit like that, right? It's all food. It's all completely different, and it you know it it sort of builds relationships with food with people, right? And and it's it's just such an interesting um, dynamic. So you know, I'm more sensitive to how food is shown 
um, if it's not shown with respect, I, I, I'm, you know, it, that can anger me sometimes. Uh, so you, you, you approach it, you know, this reopen documentary, for instance, you, you just approach it with such a respect, man. And, you know, anybody watching, first of all, even if you don't know anything about the industry, you really do get a nice inside look of what's happening, what they're going through. Um, and just as a side note, visually it's shot amazing. I mean, it's beautiful, gorgeous, the tones, the colors, the audio, the music, like everything that that also pulls you in just just as a side note. Right. Like that also yeah. pulls you in and, and brings you into what's happening. So, yeah, I got to say that it's it's I love that. So, you know, what what steps I guess? Yeah. What what led you say, OK, I'm going to do this reopen thing and I'm going to, you know, approach it from this angle. And I guess a side a second uh, follow up to that would be, did you have any other ideas to do that didn't pan out and this was the one or this was the only idea or or what so in the you know in the 10 years that we've lived here uh i've gotten to know i've shot with so many chefs so many restaurateurs in in austin and i've become friends with a, a lot of them and it's awesome um and it's been an incredible experience and so um when everything started happening last spring when everything, when everything's, you know, everybody was saying it's gotta be shut down. Um, nobody knew how long this was going to be. Nobody yeah. knew if it was going to be a couple months, you know, if it was yeah. going to be a year, if it was going to be two years, whatever. And so for me, you know, I had a ton of photos. Uh, I had done, I had done a whole video series called small bites where these were just minute long pieces shot at restaurants with a chef just kind of talking about their favorite dish that they make and, and the story behind it. And it was really yeah, I just saw some okay. of those. Those are awesome. Yeah. Those and are on your okay. website. So go check that out, people. Um, yeah. On, on his website yes uh for sure um, but, but those were those were um i made those because i had really gotten tired of i i had been making a lot of here's how to make something you know here's the steps you take a cup of this and you put this in you whisk it up you do the thing um and i really wanted to talk about why people were making food not how to make it so i made those and so i had i shot like like i think i had shot like 30 eight 39 of them or something like that so i just started putting them out for restaurants that were had that were pivoting immediately to um to doing curbside or takeout or anything like that i just started reposting those saying like hey go visit these guys are open go visit these guys you know this is you know they're doing you know limited stuff or whatever so anybody who I could see and talk to that were doing that, I just started posting those up and just started trying to like promote people however I could, sit yeah. pictures and everything like that. Um, but slowly but surely, I kind of started running out of content. And a lot of places weren't reopening or, you know, were finding it hard to pivot and stuff like that. And so they were and some places were like closing in the hopes that, well, we'll just last yeah. this few weeks and then we'll reopen normal. Right. right. And, and not even yeah. worry about this. Yeah. Um, and so after like a couple of months of the shutdown, uh, the government said, okay, restaurants can reopen their dining rooms again. And it was, uh, you know, they said that they could reopen them with like a limited, yeah. uh, li you know, a, a limited amount of people and, 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 you know, and everything. Um, is it 25%, right? Didn't it do 25, 50, 75? Yeah. 
Yeah, 75 and then back down to 50 or back down to 25. <laughs> yeah. It went back and forth a lot. Totally. But but the thing was, we... Um, sorry, I have to look at this really quick because my... Uh, oh, no, sorry. No worries. Um, so we... Um, we I, I, th- I thought to myself, you know what? I, I, I This is an important part of the stories, these restaurants reopening, how they're doing it, why they're doing it, why some of them aren't doing it, and what they're doing instead in order to stay... Uh, solvent. Um, and so I, I knew, uh, let's see here. Who did I show? Oh, I shot with Kevin Fink at Hestia first. Um, Kevin and I had shot together a few times and uh, I love his food, Emmer and Rye. And Hestia was one of the, we, Hestia was the last restaurant that my wife and I went to before the shutdown. Oh, wow. Uh, and it was one of the best meals we had ever had. It was remarkable. Uh, and so when they, when I heard that they were going to reopen, I reached out and said, Hey, listen, can I be there opening day? Can I just with a, without any sort of, I had no idea what it was going to be. I didn't know if it was going to be a series, if it was going to be a feature length documentary, if it was going to be just a one-off thing I was going to do. I really didn't go into it with any sort of idea, a clear idea of what I was going to do. I just knew opening day was going to be important and I wanted to be there for it. Yeah. Uh, and they said, yes. So I went in. I shot the whole day with them. I interviewed Kevin. I stayed through service and and did all of that. Um, And at the same time, uh, Fiore and Adam at Locodoro, um, I had been talking to them a lot and they, uh, they had told me they weren't going to reopen. And so I was like, well, that's an interesting, that's interesting. I want to talk to them about that. So I then shot with them for a day and was like, here's, you know, I've just interviewed them about why they had already started up with good work. Austin uh, starting to make meals for quarantine homeless and for the ASD caregivers and stuff like that. Um, And so I just went in and shot with them and shot them doing that and kind of to find out why they were there, why they weren't reopening. Um, And Eric is another person, Eric at the Peace Tortilla uh, is another person who I've shot with a bunch. Uh, and I, he and I were talking and I said, well, what are you doing? And he's like, well, we're, you know, we're, we're doing this. And I was like, can I come in and shoot with you? And so it just became this thing where, I, and I thought, I re- and it started, I started thinking like, oh, maybe this is like a feature length documentary. Like maybe this is, you know, an hour and a half of different restaurants doing different things and weaving the stories together. But the one thing I really wanted to be mindful of was I didn't want anyone to feel like their point of view was wrong or that we were making any sort of judgment about whether you are opening or not opening or what your policies are or anything like that. And so I thought if I merge the stories together, I don't want, I don't want to cut from one person being like, yeah, we're opening up. We hope this goes great to another person being like, we're not opening up. This is totally unsafe because at the, at, you know, right Interesting. now, no, yeah. you don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to, there shouldn't be any infighting in the industry right now. Everyone should be coming together yeah. regardless of what their point of view is. It's about healing this industry. It's about lifting it up. It's about, all of that. And so I thought, you know what, I really should make these episodic and every restaurant is just sort of its own bubble, its own self-contained piece so that no one feels that we're making any sort of judgment about what they're doing. And so that was really the, the linchpin, I think for the whole thing becoming this sort of like episodic web series 
was the desire to lift up the industry and make each restaurant feel like this is our thing. We're not being held up against any other restaurants and their ideals. This is just our thing. And so then it became really easy to say, well, hey, can I, you know, I would get in touch with the restaurants and say, hey, listen, this is what I'm doing. It takes me a day to shoot it. You know, sometimes a day and a half, if I feel like I need to come back and get some extra shots. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll do an interview. I'm going to come in and shoot. You know, I'm going to come in early. I'm going to shoot all day with y'all. I'm going to get it. You know, we're going to shoot through service and then that's it. Um, and pretty much everyone I reached out to was really, um, really happy to do it just because I feel like everybody was looking for a way to um, tell their story. And did anybody had, say no? I mean, you don't have to say who if, if, if the name of the play, but did anybody say no? Nobody said no. Some people just never got back to me, which I assume is just, you know, got lost. Could it be. Yeah, exactly. That's 100 percent. That that is 100 percent valid. Um, But yeah, I just um, I feel like uh, everybody had a story to tell and everybody wanted to to tell their story. Because every place is different, right? Like every. Yeah. Every place, literally every single food business is different, whether it be a food truck, food trailer, restaurant, right? They're all going to be different. And what works for one does not necessarily work for another. And they do have their own unique story and steps of service and right and a menu and distribution and right sources of uh, where they get their food and the blah, blah, blah. Right. There's just so many different variables that are unique. And and like some restaurants, like, for example, um, we did an episode with ATX Cocina. Yeah. Sort of a, saw that you one. know, they're a high end elevated kind of restaurant. And for them to come up with a menu that traveled was very difficult. That's another thing people are not thinking about. Well, well they'll just go to to go or takeout. Listen, yeah. y'all, not every place can make their menu takeout or to go. I've worked for so many restaurants and we didn't even do that because yeah. th- there's too many components. You can't take that to go. Right. It's not going to travel well 45 minutes in a car by the time you get it. Um, So, yeah, that that hurdle that restaurants had to go through as well of stopping and essentially right, like reorganizing everything. That that also means you have to reorganize prep, the kitchen, the the, right, the flow of how things are prepped, even like as you have that set up. So now everything starts to change. And yeah, it's absolutely amazing what what they've gone through. Yeah. Um, and for me, I think the biggest, the biggest takeaway from all of this and the, the thing I think that uh, was the most important for me was that this industry, it's the hospitality industry. And every single person from back of house, front of house, everybody has always been very, it, it's been drilled into them from the very beginning. You always put on a smile. You always want to show your best side. Sure. You want to make sure that people who are coming in, whether that's dining in, sitting on the patio, picking up takeout, are greeted with a smile. Everything's going great. It's about ha- them having a good time, all of that. And I, my biggest concern for the industry was because of that, when people go in to dine in, sit on the patio, get takeout, what they're seeing are a group of happy, smiling people. And so it may be really easy to not 
think that these people are going through one of the toughest things that this industry has ever the gone toughest through. i mean by far because it's their 100%. job to not let that show sure so for me this was really about creating kind of a safe space where they could talk about those things without it infringing on the hospitality that they want to give to the people who are coming into their restaurant yeah wow and so for me that was the most important thing was getting the word out that these this industry is struggling to the point where like you know there are restaurants big restaurants not just mom and pop places that were kind of hanging on anyway but big restaurants are closing right now because they just cannot sustain what's going on right now and so if it meant that someone ordered in you know curbside pickup one extra night a week or tipped a little more when they went in or went on to a restaurant's website and bought a few gift cards without the, you know, without really expecting to use them at all. Exactly. It, it would win, you know, it would be like, okay, here's, you know, here's a way to sort of raise awareness of what's going on without it having to come from the people whose job it is to not let people know that this is going on. You know what I mean? And so that was really the goal with the, with the series. Um, Love that. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I love that. Um, You're right, because people don't get to give, you know, vent, if you will, right? Like, that's a big part of the industry where things build up. I mean, that's that's such a big part of it, which is why there's a lot of mental stress in the industry, alcoholism, drug addiction, or I could go through the list, uh, family problems, divorces, right, relationship building. Um, You know, I lived it. It's for so long. It's because of that, you know, you, you just, it's such an intense industry and then, right. You want to release at the end of the night, you build up all this stuff. And especially during a pandemic, right. You're trying to maintain this, Hey, we're here for the community. We're doing everything right. But meanwhile, behind, right through the kitchen door, it's like, holy shit, we are in the worst hole. Imagine like not even imaginable. It's worse than anything anybody could have ever imagined. Right. It's just absolutely devastating. And there's been so little help from the government. Uh, Zero. Uh, you know, it's I talk yeah. about on the podcast since we started, since we pivoted in March as well. It's been a, yeah. a major conversation on this podcast that gets brought up all the time since then. Hasn't changed since March. Right. It's like crazy. It's like, yeah, it, it really pisses me off because people th- this is the thing. People are getting mad at restaurants. Well, just shut down. Just close down. Listen, y'all right. slow down. They want to close down most of them. I, I guarantee you they have no issue. But the government's saying close down, but continue to pay rent, continue to pay your bills, continue to pay staff, continue to pay insurance, right? Continue to do everything else outgoing, but there's not going to be, we're going to limit your incoming uh, revenue. Right. You can't do that. You, I mean, the government's got to say, here's this, now shut down. Otherwise... Yeah. It's of course these restaurateurs are looking for ways to. to they've got to look. You don't know what's behind them. They've got staff. It's yeah. a pyramid. They're at the top of that pyramid. So just you're seeing the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole iceberg underneath them of stuff and responsibilities and people's homes and. But right, we could go down the list of of sure. things. So that frustrates me, and it's that's why this 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 series, dude, is so eye opening and so wonderful and honestly inspiring. Even though it's sad to watch it. It's inspiring yeah. at the same time. And you know what's one funny thing that I, I noticed is that, you know, the, a lot of these came, I'm watching ones that came out 
you know, months and months ago. Right. You still watch it today. It feels like it was just shot yesterday. That's yeah. That's scary that nothing yeah, has changed since then. Yeah. yeah, no, it really is. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's frustrating. Uh, it's frustrating to watch. It's frustrating. I know for these people and, and there's so much heroism going on right now behind the scenes and restaurants of people who are yeah. doing everything they can to keep their staff employed, keep the lights on. Yeah. Keep the, and, and, and I think one of the, one of the uh, episodes that really, uh, I love is the uh, Sharon Mays from baby green. Yeah. I saw that one, man, that um, woman, right. Staff to one. Yeah. She, and, and busting her you, ass. She should be, she should be running for city council or she should be, she should <laughs> love that. The way she speaks is, is amazing. And, and her, and just her knowledge is so deep on this stuff. Um, you know what she she talks about in that in that episode um, is about how restaurants really shoulder a lot of the load that society has on eating, and it's you know it, it's not just a matter of you know uh, there aren't enough grocery stores if if all the restaurants closed there aren't enough grocery stores and there isn't enough infrastructure to feed everybody. Grocery stores operate under the assumption that people are going to be eating out. Yeah. And yeah. so there is that give and take. There's that balance. And without the restaurants open, uh, you're going to start seeing runs on supermarkets. Sure. You're going to start seeing people fighting over the last avocado. Like it's going to get to that point. And so, you know, you have to you have to have the restaurants in order for it all to work. That's the way our food infrastructure has been set up. And so when people are, when people aren't wearing masks or not being safe or holding these Corona parties and, you know, getting together over the holidays, they're just extending the time it's going to take for these restaurants to be closed. And not just restaurants, right? Bars and the light music venues, right? Like that are just, yeah. It's crazy. Movie theaters, just movie all theaters. Of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and so, all of that is very. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking about just this this time where it's just this. Nobody's really taking it seriously, and so everybody's just sort of sitting around thinking, "Oh, it's going to end," you know, or there's going to be a vaccine, or there's going to be a whatever. But in that time period, these restaurateurs, these owners from baby greens which is just you know which is a small place it's a drive-through not i go there once or twice a week because i love it but uh it's just right up on anderson uh it's a very small place from a little small place like baby greens all the way through to like you know i just saw fabian rossi just closed uh which is like an austin staple like they've been ever yeah uh and, you know, for, and everything in between, these places are going to start closing and it's not going to just be your favorite place that you went to um, for a fun night out with your, with your wife or your girlfriend or whatever. It's going to be places that you rely on to grab lunch or to pick up a quick dinner for your family because you don't feel like cooking. It's going to be those places. And that's when it's really going to start hurting. Uh, and I think that is something that people aren't taking into consideration is they just feel like, oh, these restaurants will be around, you know, we're just, we're all gonna, it'll be fine. The restaurants are going to be around. 
But I think when all is said and done and people are able to go out again, they're going to look around and be like, oh, that place is, oh, that place is, oh man, that place closed. Like, because it's just, nobody's taking it seriously enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, a hundred percent. Yeah. There's so, I mean, the gosh, there's just so much I could say. I have, I have very intense feelings about this stuff. I mean, you have no idea. Like I'm, it makes me live. It really makes my blood boil when I really start to just think about what people are going through in the industry. And I think about, did I, did, did, did somebody tell me, seek it? I didn't like, I, yeah, I got out of it last year in 2000, like last South by, I didn't know a pandemic was coming. And I think, wow, what if I still had my shit going, my catering, my food truck, I, I would be, and it would be a, a nightmare. I wouldn't, oh dude, I just yeah. wouldn't. It, it's just crazy. Um, But the point you make about sort of the slup, supplemental, right uh aspect to the grocery store and the and the and the restaurants and the way that that works together i mean you're absolutely right but another thing too that i would add on to that is the infrastructure of a re- of a food business whether it be catering or private chefing or restaurant or what whatever you're doing food truck it's not just you you've got this like right if you just oh. turn to the side a little bit oh shit there's like 100 people behind him that rely on that, the distributor, the sort, right, where you're getting your food. How about the people that create food for restaurants? They don't sell to grocery stores. They don't sell to, right? You've got all these, this back end of stuff that would just demolish uh, the chain. And that is, and that's 100% true. And one of the great things about Austin is it was at the forefront of the local food movement when I moved here. You know, and and, and that ties back to the whole Bryce Gilmore thing and everything. Like, you know, local food, became super popular in the United States in the like late two thousands. And Austin was a big reason for that. And so all of the restaurants in town, even like, you know, even up to when the pandemic hit, when you went in there, a lot of times on the menu, it would say, you know, sir, you know, it's, this is this, these mushrooms are from these local farmers and the, you know, this, this beef is from this local ranch and, and all of that. And, so many restaurants bought from small local farms here in Austin and the surrounding area. And it allowed for a great boom in these local farms, you know, over the last four or five years. But it also means that when all of those restaurants closed, none of those farms had any inroads into selling food to HEB or exactly. Yeah. They hadn't set up that infrastructure, right? It's, it's a, Absolutely. They didn't have to. They were were doing just fine selling their selling their produce, selling their beef, selling their their protein or whatever to the to the restaurant. Keep the operation small enough to right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So all of those farms now we're 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 scrambling trying to figure out well, where do you know how do we get rid of this whole crop that they just spent the last, you know, I mean this happened in the spring. I've had farmers on the show. I've had farmers on, I've had yeah, it's devastating. You know, some of the farmers actually had some success stories. I'm not gonna lie. Really? That's yeah, great. absolutely. Well, they. This is what it was interesting. I'm not gonna lie. Actually, the oldest ranch and farm in Texas. I had that guy at Parker Creek uh, Ranch. Yeah. Um, so he came on, and um, that's basically what he said. So, okay, so what we're talking about the the lines to the restaurants is okay. Yes, they get severed, but now what's happening is people are reaching out to the farms because the grocery stores are getting overloaded. So people are reaching directly out to farms. How do I get your food? So now they're creating this delivery service to right that they never had before. And honestly, that him in particular, he's like, dude, my sales are up a thousand percent. That's awesome. So I was like, whoa, okay. So maybe if the pivot is right, 
right? That this can still be, you know, managed yeah. and saved. And and you've got uh, companies like um, I had Sam Lash on from um, uh, Farm to Table. So they work with all right. They provide so much food to all the restaurants in town. I mean, shit, I used them when I had Boca. So yeah. um, seeing that, having him on same thing, we're going to have to pit. We're going to have to really start doing deliveries direct to home, direct to consumer. Right. Yeah. And still sort of try to maintain somewhat of a relationship with these restaurants because some of them are still going to open and do something minimal. So, yeah, it's been crazy. It's just a free for all. Right. It's just been like this. Um, free for all to figure out what to do. And, and there's been no leadership, no direction. Everyone's no. scrambling. Everyone's behind the scenes. Just what are you doing? What, what, you know, it's a, it's a nightmare. It's an absolute yeah. nightmare. I, I, I feel, I feel so bad for all of the, just everyone in the industry. And it's not just restaurants. I mean, like you said, it's, it's bars, it's venues, it's, it's everybody. I mean, hospitality hotels, it's just, yeah. you know, hotels, yeah. in the industry just got hammered so badly by this. Um, and I, I, I would, I would love to have seen leadership from, from the local or state or, um, you know, I didn't have much hope for the federal, but, uh, but <laughs> every you know, level, right. It was like, yeah, like nobody going to save us. No. Nobody, nobody wanted to step up and be nobody. the person. And, and I think that that, I mean, I think, and I think that that is uh, a problem that we have right now with, with leadership in general is that there there's just no leadership anymore. It's people trying to cover their own ass and, and get reelected and they don't want to say anything or do anything that's going to make anybody mad. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, the people who elect them, who expect them to lead are being left out in the cold. Uh, and, you know, unless you're a giant corporation who's able to get millions of dollars in, in PPE money, um, you know, you're, you're just, you're kind of, you're screwed. Forgotten. You're screwed. And it's, it's bad. You know, think about this. I'm so I'm watching the Franklin uh, barbecue one, and because yeah. um, that's pro that's probably the most uh, that that the one that that one in particular. You know, Franklin's probably has the most sales of any of those restaurants, probably sure. in, my, in my opinion. So, so to hear him and and he's considered right. He's probably it's probably considered you know, arguably the best barbecue in the world. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you hear him say, yeah, we're struggling. This is tough. Okay. Now, th now put that in perspective. Think about so-and-so that you go to see down the street that you love their tacos, right? And you go support them. Think about the reputation they have now wonder, I wonder if they're struggling. Yes, if right. Franklin's is struggling, right? This guy that's at the top of the mountain, imagine how everyone else is doing. So yeah, and it's crazy. And everyone, yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, I, 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 Aaron was so generous with his time, and he's a great guy. He, he's great for Austin, he and he's he great is, for the food scene. He is fantastic, um, and I, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to to know him, and I'm, I'm and get to shoot with him sometimes, and, um. But you know when we need to get him on the show. I don't know why we haven't done that yet. I he's, he's a great. There's just some. You know what happens is I, you know not to sidetrack it, but there's just a million people to get on the show. And oh, once yeah, the once the door opens, it's like you just get flooded, and then it just becomes right. Just yeah. like it's just too. It's like crazy. So, but yes, we do need to get him on.
you should. He's great. Uh, but uh, you know, for for him, I think the issue is, and again, it's that it's that side of things that people don't see. Um, you know, Franklin, ha- you know, they have their restaurant, and they have the famous line, and people line up, and uh, they go in and they eat. And the restaurant, substantively, it's, it's open from, I think, 11 o'clock till like three. Yeah. Which is barbecue, right? You, you, you sell to, yeah. to your route. I mean, that's, that's typical. So, so they're open for four hours a day. Yeah. And so that's the sort of public facing side of that business. But what people don't see is that a lot of times the restaurant is, is then reopened at night for private parties. And those happen during South by Southwest. They happen during ACL, yeah. they happen during the Austin Film Festival or Formula One or any of the multitude of events that no longer happen in this city. Yeah. And so a humongous part of their... Catering um, was was like two times my regular food truck sales. Catering yeah. was everything. I mean, it was like massive. And so the minute those private parties can't happen anymore... The minute that they they don't have all of those people coming into town wanting to have yeah. know, corporate events there and stuff like that, they're losing an ep- just a huge amount of business. Now the general public doesn't see that. General public sees well they're open. You know I can drive up and exactly and put an order and they'll bring it down to my car, so they must be doing fine. Exactly. But that biz- that side of their business keeps that open. Like that's the base level of that business. Yeah. There's that's way better the profit margin in, in events. Is... There's, there's no profit margin in that side of the business. Like that, you know, and, and that's what he talks about in the in the in the episode is is how you know the... that's why you do the catering and stuff because those deals are are great. I mean, you're just like, oh, this is awesome, right? right? You, yes, a hundred percent. So, and I think again, it's that thing of like. That's why I want, that's why I wanted to do this to let people know, like, even though it may look like they're doing fine, because when you go pick up your barbecue, there's a huge line of cars because everybody wants to pick up their barbecue. That doesn't mean that they're, that means that really what that means is that they are just barely surviving. Yeah. Like, even though it's busy and even though they're open, they're not making the, the it's not because they just bought like they had been renting that building or leasing that building forever and they bought it. The, and, and he talks about this in the episode, yeah. the first payment, the first payment that they had to make on that building was in March when all of this happened. Can you imagine that? Like, can you, and then that cannot have been a, yeah. an inexpensive building to buy considering where it's located. Oh yeah. And everything like that absolutely. Must have been, that must have been just an incredible outlay of cash. I'm just saying like, you know, it's, there's all of these parts of the business that nobody thinks about. All they think about is I'm showing up. There's a, there's a bunch of people, they're all buying barbecue. So they must be fine. Or I'm, you know, or I'm going to pick up tacos at this place and there's a bunch of other people picking up tacos. So they must be doing fine. Yeah. But the industry is taking such a hit in, in so many ways that people don't see like catering or events or whatever. Um, like Eric from peach tortilla, he has peach tortilla, he has bar peached, but he also has just a team of food trucks that do weddings. They do corporate yeah. events, do all kinds of stuff. Done. That just sat there not doing anything. His airport property, the airport. Exactly that had to shut down he has a huge commissary kitchen yeah. um that they do all of their uh that they do all of their event 
you know, prepping Prep and, and shit. And yeah. Or mm-hmm. that's just sitting there not doing anything. It's a huge event. And, and, and it also is part of a, a event space. Um, yeah. That place is awesome. Yeah. Peach social house. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that place. Awesome. Uh, that place sat empty yeah. for months. God. Not being, you know, you can't have events. Nobody's having can't have get events. togethers. You can't have. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so there's so many aspects of this that people don't see that people don't normally think about. Um, and so that's why I really want people to be cognizant of these things is, is so that they understand, like, just because a restaurant is open doesn't mean it's being not doesn't mean it's successful. Doesn't mean that they're not hanging on by the skin of their teeth. Yeah. And at any moment, the $50 that they didn't make that night could be the meat, the reason that they closed the next day for yeah. good. And think about like pre pandemic, Look, yeah. you know, nobody gets in the food industry going, I'm going to be rich, right? right? That's I didn't get a food truck, right? Like thinking, I'm going to open a food truck. I want to be rich. No, I love food. I, I love pleasing people. And I want to, you know, I love being creative and blah, blah, blah. The money doesn't mean you, you because sure. profit margins are like this. They're so oh. thin, right? It's so thin. It's nothing. So that's pre-pandemic. That's even if you're busy, like I've worked for some of literally best restaurant in town, you know, best restaurant, there, best. There, there. And we literally are losing money every month. And people, how is that possible? You have a wait every, you know, Friday, Saturday, you're booked, you blah, blah, blah. Dude, you don't have any idea what it takes to get that, to make that happen. Right. Um, so now add in a pandemic, dude, forget about it. What, what do we, it doesn't matter who you are. You're struggling right now. I don't care what oh, restaurant you, you're at. You're struggling. Yeah. No. And, 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 uh, you know, and I think that you're, it, it's, it's that thing where people I think are really going to have a big wake up call when, you know, the, the vaccine finally gets distributed to everybody and everybody takes it and waits and takes the second dose and waits and, yeah. and, and does all of that. Um, and it's, you know, it's coming up on, you know, the end of spring, beginning of summer by the time everybody's starting to, you know, get there. And I think that, you know, by then you're going to be like, okay, I got my, I got, I got the vaccine. I can go out again. I can be around people and not be worried about it. And people are just going to be like, what the hell happened? It's like, you know, walking outside after a bomb goes off, it's just desolate, <laughs> yeah. you know? And yeah. people are going to be like, oh, my God, I, when I wanted to go to this restaurant, but they're closed and I wanted to go to this bar. Yeah, what happened to this spot? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can't go see live music at this place anymore because they closed. And th- there is going to be a reckoning where people are going to just, I think, finally understand what was happening over the last year and a half. And it's going to be sad. You know, there are going to be a lot of people out of work. There are going to be a lot of great restaurants that closed. Um, and I think it's going to be hard for people to find investors who are willing to put money back into that industry after it's been decimated so badly. That's what I think. That's interesting. Um, yeah. You know, one one good thing about the restaurant food, you know, the food industry as a whole is you know, as quickly as one does go down, another one does pop up. Like, let's just say pre-pandemic, right? That that's usually the case, right? It's they're constantly coming and going. It's a, it's a, it's just this, you know, rotating door of places, especially in Texas. Um, You know, I worked in Dallas a long time. I've I've worked in Austin a long time. And and the same thing, they just start popping up. They're just left and right. And 
Uh, people are all about the new thing happening. That's what, especially Dallas. Dallas is all about that. Like, what's the new restaurant, hottest restaurant? So they're hot for six months. You know, it'll close after 18. They real redesign and, you know, new menu, blah, 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 new chef. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, that's maybe the only thing that sort of perseverance and that sort of whatever is maybe the only thing that's going to help it. Um, but you're right. There's definitely going to be tentative investors um, worried about getting in. But again, remember, a lot of people get into the not everybody. I mean, you do need to make money, of course. It's a business. But remember, there's still a lot of people that don't do it for the money. No. And I think that those people are going to be the ones to rebuild. Yeah. Um, but I think that I think yeah. you're going to see a lot smaller restaurants. There aren't going to be these giant uh, these giant places with huge, uh, you know, uh, dining rooms anymore. It's going to be smaller places, smaller footprint, more food trucks. Um, and, and honestly, I think a lot of places are going to go kind of that ghost kitchen model that's become that just sort of like exploded yeah. over the last, you know, eight or nine months. I've got some um, feelings about that for sure. I'm sure you do. Yeah. <laughs> Who does that uh, in, in yeah, my industry? But I, think, but I honestly, I think that that's going to be a way for a lot of chefs uh, to test out their concept before, you know, having to go brick and mortar. Um, what are some of the chefs you, t have you ever talked to any of those chefs about the ghost kitchens? Or what sort of I, comments do you hear about it? Or have you heard anything about it? I did an episode that hasn't come out. So we, I'm, I'm sitting on a couple of episodes right now that I haven't finished only because I got incredibly busy again. Like, you know, for me over the summer, there was no production work happening. So I was yeah. just able to focus my time on reopen. Um, but once the, once like September hit, things started picking up again. Um, which is why I've kind of been taking breaks from releasing them. And I'm on a break right now. Um, but I did, I'm not going to name any names right now because sure. I don't want to get me in trouble, but I did interview one, um, one restaurant who had to close and went into a ghost kitchen. Um, and they, and that'll be on an episode coming out next season. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. This, this will come out. I'm sure I'm, I'm pretty sure this is going to come out right at the beginning of our new season and 2021. Okay. Well, maybe they'll be coming out around the same time. Then. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we, we shot with them and uh, their experience was initially very good, but they ended up pulling out of the ghost kitchen because they weren't making any money. Yep. They weren't able to sustain it. Yeah. Look, um, here's my quick thoughts on the ghost kitchen. And, and I've, I've said it on the podcast, I, I'm, you know, a few times, I'm sure, um, for, for some of my most loyal listeners that you might have already heard this. But, um, you know, so I actually was going to partner in a commissary kitchen um, in Austin here with two of my friends um, who own Pretty Thai and uh, Max, who is a, a partner in Jaime's Spanish Village, the salsa. Um, so we were going to open up a kitchen together. It was called RPM, uh, Robert Patrick Max RPM. So um, on the east side, Springdale General. Well, I ended up pulling out because it wasn't it was a 10 year deal. I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I honestly just want to get out of food. This was like I decided I was going to close Boca and then I pulled out of that. I was like, I'm, I'm just done with this industry. I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, attack it from another angle. Um, so Anyway, they ended up opening the kitchen, right? They, they went forward and they opened it. It's, it's called Wingman now. So shout out to that, to the commissary kitchen. Uh, first of all, they're doing great during the pandemic, which is crazy. They've actually 
brought on more people. They've had to turn people away, but not honestly, because a lot of people have had to pivot and do other things. So now they're looking for this kitchen, right. To cook yeah. in, but the ghost kitchen idea was something, the whole original idea of we were going to do this was ghost kitchen because, mm -hmm. you know, Robert and I like five years ago, not, not that long ago, about four years ago, we, we just, you know, we saw, we read an article about someone doing it in Chicago. It was one of the first people to ever do it. This, this right. company. And I was like, Ooh, this is going to be the future. That's what I originally thought. This will be the future. Cause you, you think of all the benefits, uh, blah, blah, blah. You can switch a menu. There's no brick and mortar. I can, you know, one quick website. Um, I, I, you know, I can put six concepts, one kitchen, you know, Pat's pizza, Pat's tacos, Pat's this, you know, whatever. Um, same crew cooking all the same food. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, um, you know, these tomatoes work with all these menu items, right? That sort of thing. Um, so, but the, the reality, yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, and just to say for consumers as well, it's so beneficial. I know we've got what uh, the Kitchen United uh, here in Austin is really close to our house. And for us, like I have, a, you know, my wife, I have an eight year old daughter. Like we all, some nights we all want to eat something different. Yeah. You go on their website and my daughter can get a hot dog because she likes hot dogs. My wife can get chicken, you know, chicken strips from this place. And I can get Korean food from this place. Like, you know, it's great. We order it all comes at once. It's easy, like totally. So for the consumer, that's a good great. benefit. You're right. That's a good point. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you start to think, well, th this is all great. Um, but you know, in fact, man, Max and I just talked about this at, at an event this past Tuesday, um, which will be December for y'all listening to this. So uh, but um, and it was like he's like, yeah, man, th this the ghost kitchen thing is just not going to work. And we just got into this long conversation. He just doesn't think it's going to work uh, in the end. I think it will pull through at some some point because they'll figure out how to do it right. Um, yeah. But just like anything new. Right. It's it's I don't think it's going to dominate but I think it will become a part of kitchens, right? It'll just become a part of the, the, whatever the, you know, this industry, you know, for, for sure. But be, for those reasons, somebody's going to figure out how to do it just right. You know, yeah. how to really maximize that. Um, the only thing from a chef standpoint is quality control. Yeah. So it's great that, you know, your daughter can get, chicken fingers and you can get Korean food and, and your wife can get whatever steak and this, you know, okay, that's great. But are we, are we sure there's no cross contamination right in the kitchen? How are we actually doing this? Right? Like is the quality going to be the same? I'm going to have to lower the standards to, to get you the food out right in this way. When I shot, when I shot with the, with them in the ghost kitchen, it was a pretty well put together situation i mean I'll, I'll, I'll it was at that kitchen united which is where i shot yeah um, and they let us come back and and shoot and you know kind of see how the whole operation works but did you ever they, see him like really busy yeah okay that's when you know a kitchen works well is when they're fucking yeah. slammed how is yeah. it working it works it's tight and i think that or when they're super slow that's another good indication of how a kitchen works one, one extreme or the other it's true. Uh, it's but weird, it but I, I think that they I, they had it going on. I don't think that they I think that their business model needs to be revisited because I don't think it works for every type of restaurant. And I think that 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 should be the goal of a. You mean like cuisine? You, you mean every type of yeah. cuisine? Is that okay? I got you. I got you. Um, and I think that should be the goal of a, of a place like that is that any 
you could open up any restaurant there um, and yeah. it would work. And I don't think that they're there yet. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's, it's, you know, they're trying to, you know, everybody's trying to figure it out right now. Because it's no also idea. name recognition, man. It's also, sure. you know, well, you just, you know, sometimes people in the food industry, they think, well, if I make it, they'll come and get it. It's not how it works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally. You know, you, you, again, you could have the best food. Nobody's coming to your place, right? There's so, to, so many examples of bad food still existing. Places have been open yeah. forever. How do they, why, how are they still open? Why did this guy close? He makes the best, whatever. Cause it's more, it's more than just food, you know? And I don't know. It's, it's like, gosh, you know, okay. So I see Pat's pizza and I see Pat, but, but who is that? What does that mean? Okay. The go, it, that's why I think it's just going to take time for people to understand what a ghost kitchen means and understand the con and understand that that name doesn't need to mean anything, but I can trust that these type of places put out good food. Sure. Right. And, and that's what comes from a brand, right? When you order peach tortilla, when you order whatever, you know, what's more, you know, what's behind that. And you don't get that from a ghost kitchen. And that's scary. Yeah. It's like buying, it's like buying food at the fucking airport, uh, food court with shit. You don't ever recognize, right? You're like, man, I don't know about that. Let me go over here to the, that's going to be solid. Like I eat Chick-fil-A at every airport I can because I don't eat Chick-fil-A ever. So every time I airport, I know it's going to be, I know what it's going to be, right? Sure. I'm not going to screw around. So I don't know yeah. that that's a, you know, brainstorming from, from the, from the restaurant side. Those are the conversations that, that are, you know, being had, right? How, how can we bridge that gap and bring that confidence to people as well? Yeah. It's, you know, I think that, um, I think that, Unfortunately, the pandemic and the resulting inability to go out is going to mean that even when people are able to go out, they've become so used to having stuff delivered through Postmates or Favor or whoever um, that that part of what's going on now is going to carry over into the post pandemic yeah, world. Good point. And so I do think that restaurants are going to find it harder to go back to a dine-in only model and that a to-go menu is going to become part of just everybody's yeah, menu. That's a good a point. Um, yeah. And so I think that ghost kitchens are going to have time to figure it out because I don't think they're going anywhere. I don't think that the minute the pandemic is over, people are going to be like, well, I don't have to order in anymore. I think ordering in is going to become kind of the new norm. Yeah, know? I think it will uh, as well. And so uh, it's going to make it harder for front of house. Uh, yeah. There's not going to be, um, you know, they're not going to be, able, which is, why I think, you know, we should just abolish tipping and pay them a fair wage. And, oh, don't get me started on that. Absolutely. No, no, uh, no, like, yeah, it's um, with yeah. you. Uh, back of the house, uh, kitchen staff does not get paid yeah. nowhere near what they fucking deserve. And then you you no. have that fucking waiter come up to you while you're working a double fryer and you're sweating your ass off. And he he, he has the nerve to walk up to you and be like, oh, my God, it's so hot over here. You know, you're just like, he's like, oh, I only made 300 today. 
Yeah. Okay. Waiters. Uh, this is just call to waiters and bartenders. Don't go flashing your money around to the kitchen. Please don't do that. Don't tell them how much you made. Don't, they don't want to hear it because they work 10 times. I'm not saying you don't work hard because I've had, had every job in the, in the restaurant, it, literally every job. You, nobody could tell me anything. You, you just, you just don't get it. You don't get the respect. You don't get the money you deserve. Those people are in there because they love it. That's the truth. They really, they love that. They love, you know, work it in there and yeah, man, they don't get enough uh, credit or no. it needs to be split uh, around. Oh, I don't I don't you know, getting rid of tipping in America would be fucking almost impossible. But yeah. I'm with you. Uh, look, I worked in Spain. I worked with with z almost zero tips, really. They do tip a little, but it's like they throw yeah, no. they throw pennies on the fucking table yeah. for you. But that tip just needs to instead of the waiter going, that's all mine tip pool yeah. it needs to go to every employee because they all make it happen right okay waiter let's take away the cooks how's that food yeah. going to come out yeah. i mean it's really ba ass backwards that the tip doesn't go directly to the person making the fucking i mean i don't get it yeah. I, and i waited tables for a long time and i i knew it was a sham i'm, I'm always looking around like they're gonna figure this out one day i'm not doing shit and i'm getting all this money um yeah anyway anyway yeah, or say it, say it to the waiter. Hey, you can do that. You can, hey, give this to the kitchen. You can do that too. So if you, you know, want to. Anyway, Christian, I'm sorry. Uh, look, I'll, I'll rant on on all the best stuff happening here. But um, yeah, look, support local. That's another big yeah. thing, right? Um, support these local restaurants. Support these places as best you can. Or the gift card thing is a great idea. You know, get yeah. the gift cards and stack them away. You can't just go online, buy a $50 gift card, buy a $20 gift card. Like, there you, buy, go. you know, there you spend go. what you can and then just tuck it away, put it in a drawer, do whatever, you know, don't, don't spend it. Just, just give them that money and let them, let them. It's a great a idea. That's no, um, a great idea. And if, and if you're going in, like, you know, if you're going in, dude, you know, if you're not tipping at least 25, 30%, like you're a heartless bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, and, and, you know, if you're ordering takeout, spread it around, like, you know, spread the love. Don't order from the same place every night. It's easy to do. I do it sometimes. And then I realize I'm being, you know, selfish and I need to spread the love. Like yeah. you order from different places. And don't go to Applebee's. Yeah, don't go to Applebee's. No, they, got, they got plenty of corporate money coming in. They're, they, they, they're the ones that get the big PPP loan. They're yeah, the ones. They're, they're fine. Horrible. Yes. Um, try new places. Like now is a great time to try new places. Just yeah. all of the restaurants are putting their best foot forward with their food right now, especially yeah. with the to go stuff because they know how important it is. Yeah. So if there's a restaurant that you've always thought, oh, we should have tried that place, try them now. Like get it, you know, just get out there and, and order order in. I not everybody order if you can do pickup would be best. Like yeah. avoid pickup the best. avoid the pickup delivery services if you can. Yes. Those delivery services are, are gouging a lot. They're of the gouging. They're the thirty. Are not making any money on any sale that comes through. It's a nightmare. Or Postmates or anything like that. So yeah. they take absolutely. up to thirty percent, guys. I'm gonna give you the real figure. Yeah. They'll take a, over thirty percent of a sale. So imagine that. That doesn't go to the restaurant. It, and I'm, again, this is something I repeat on the podcast yeah. as well. But use uh, Runner City. This is that's what I promote on the podcast here. Runner City. It's a Facebook group thousands and thousands of members and runners and you set up a deal with them privately to go pick up your food so the restaurant gets a hundred percent of the whole thing That's and awesome. you you do the delivery right with that person so you you set it up and there's no set prices or anything it's you you work out the deal and 
and whatever. Right. So that's the best way to, to support those. Um, but yeah, run, you know, hop in your car, run out yeah. there. It, you know, it takes you an extra 10 minutes and that's, yeah. there's, you know, it's fine. You still call it in, right. Or, or, or yeah, order online. Almost, and, and almost everybody's got an online portal right yeah. now that they can do it through. Uh, everybody's using toast tab, I think right now. Yeah. Um, and it's super easy. If you have a toast tab account, then you can just set that up. You don't have to enter in your credit card information every time you just, you know, you just sign in and do it and pick it up. It's super easy. The restaurant gets all the money. Um, and, uh, you're helping, helping keep these places open so that, so that when you are able to dine out later, they'll be there for you. Absolutely. A city would look very different if you were just to remove food businesses, right? I mean, it wouldn't even be, it'd be sad. It would be sad. Yeah. Wouldn't it be a real city? Uh, Christian, is there anything we didn't uh, mention or anything? I mean, definitely before we go, I'll have you, um, you know, just give your website and how people can watch this and connect with you and all that. But is there any topic or any last words you wanted to throw out or say? Uh, uh, I mean, I think, uh, no, I think we covered it. I'm, 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 you know, uh, yeah. If, if you're interested, uh, in the, in the series, the website is, uh, reopendoc.com. Uh, and all of the episodes are live on there right now. Um, we're in a lull. We're in kind of a, a hiatus right now. Um, but I'm hoping. No, when this comes out, your new season will be coming out. Yes, or, that's right. Or out. Hopefully. So, yeah. Uh, hopefully. Hopefully okay. at the beginning. At, yeah. Hopefully at the beginning of 2021, we're going to start releasing some more episodes and uh, shooting some more episodes. I think we're going to try to maybe pivot a little bit about what we're talking about. Um to start telling stories about individuals within a restaurant. So I really want to talk to yeah, some like front that. of house people, some back of house people. You know, it also and, be cool is maybe one episode where you revisit the people from before. Cause that's what I was thinking when I was watching yeah. Damn, I wonder where they're at now because yeah, you know, and that's something we've been talking about. Cause there's actually like every episode that we shoot is only about 10 to 10 to 12, 13 minutes long. But there's hours of content that we sure. didn't get to use. Um, and so there's actually, we've been talking about trying to make a, like a feature-length documentary that incorporates a lot of the unused stuff as well as follow-ups, you know, <clears throat> maybe going back this summer and doing follow-ups with yeah. a lot of these places. There you and, go. And, and trying to create something larger out of all of that. So, 100%. Um, yeah. Love so that. that's something that's cool. Doing. Yeah. That's awesome. What about your social media? Um, uh, I'm on Instagram at Christian Remedy. Um, yeah, mostly it's just pictures of food. That's yeah. perfect. I mean, that's, yeah. that's uh, yeah. you know, hello. Look, Texas, we're sponsored by Texas Real Food. It's called the Lone Star Plate. Do it. We're all about food here. So we're all about yeah. pushing that and supporting that. The Lone Star Plate podcast is produced by Texas Real Food. Go to texasrealfood.com and you can search your city for stores, butchers, restaurants, farmers markets, and more who are using fresh, artisanal, organic sources. It's a fun site that brings all natural options all together. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, go to thelonestarplay.com. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Until next time. Mm-hmm.